0: Fast Forward Productions, the women are speaking. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the One Broke Actress Podcast, an honest account of actor life plus a few lessons I learned in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, and we are not going to waste a ton of time on intros today because we are going to get to episode two of season 10. Our guest today first appeared on the podcast. We recorded in 2019 for the premiere of season five. So five seasons ago, many moons ago. But ladies and gentlemen, Audrey Moore from Audrey Helps Actors is back. Many of you know her from her own podcast where she seeks to give information and inspiration, camaraderie to actors on all levels. She is the question answerer to my question asker. Actually, since her podcast, we have stayed in touch and I am so thrilled to have her on my roster of people that I trust and I can come to. We've literally texted each other and she's checking in on me and I feel thrilled that she is a part of my zeitgeist and a part of my world. And as she listens to this, I want to say thank you, Audrey, because I'm so glad You are in my purview and I I trust you so wholeheartedly. And if you guys are like, who are you talking about? One listen to more actor podcasts. <laughs> but two, you might've also seen Audrey in such things as, I don't know, that Emmy-nominated show, Dope Sick, or Better Call Saul, or maybe you saw her in Godless, or Feud. Audrey is known for her work ethic, and she is also known for her business mindset. When she last came on the podcast, we talked a lot about her routines and how she structures her actor lifestyle, and so we're gonna touch on that today. Does it still hold up? Was the life she was doing pre-pandemic still relevant now? What is going on in her life that That has changed the way that auditioning and acting has been working for her. We get really real about the ups and downs of the industry, the intense amount of work that is required from actors, and how as she has navigated her career, going through a lot of grief in the process and getting through these past couple of years. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please enjoy Audrey Moore. So Audrey, your last podcast episode premiered in January of 2020, which is super fun to think about because three months later you were doing Instagram lives like from your car to try and keep actors sane.
1: <laughs>
0: yes. Isn't that crazy? What a turn we took. Yeah. How have you been?
1: Good. I've been, I would say I've been COVID normal and, you know, my fight or flight mode is hypervigilant. So I got a lot of work done. I actually worked and traveled more than I had in a while in 2021. I basically worked job to job to job to job, all of 2021, all of it great, all of it out of town, which was awesome. And I had booked right when things got going again, which was like kind of September, October 2020 was kind of when things started to happen again. I started working pretty consistently at that point on, which was great. But we had a lot of drama. I mean, we had in by we I mean, my husband and I we had the pandemic plus my stepfather of 35 years got a terminal diagnosis and died. My husband's father died. So it was a lot of I would say pandemic Working and then just a solid swath of parental death, which was a you know a, a took a kick out of us. But that's how we're doing. Oh, I'm so sorry.
0: How did you manage working during that time when you were having such? I mean, you're no stranger to working through hard times, but how did you manage? That was a lot. And with COVID, you couldn't see people. Like I, I don't know about you, but like I attended some online funerals, which nothing's been darker in my entire life than that.
1: Yeah, I would say luckily all that stuff was at the tail end of COVID after vaccines had come out and all of that stuff. So I was able to still be available at the same time. It was nice because I went back for Better Call Saul, which shoots in my hometown. And so I was able to be working while also taking care of my mother and brother and sister as they lost my stepdad and could just extend a lot of the stays from being in town working I could extend a lot of those days and just stay locally and be of service to whatever degree I could But we did have to like move some funerals because of my shoot dates and things like that. And that's luckily at this point, it's pretty normalized. I don't get any weirdness from family or resentment or any of that. It's pretty par for the course.
0: That's a lot though.
1: It was a lot. Oh, yeah. It was a lot. Yeah.
0: Wow. Did work serve as a nice reprieve to go on and create your character and do your work?
1: Well, I did do a movie. I think that I shot four days after my stepdad died and the movie is all about grief. And so that was nice. And then I literally went from the movie to the funeral. So we scheduled a sort of like chill, like a there was a gap between him passing and the funeral, which was fine because they had to move his body from one state to another state for the funeral. So there was this time when I was filming that at that time. And that was really nice to, I will just say, I wasn't worried. I was at the movie and I was like, I got this, everybody. We're going to be just fine. So, yeah, it was nice to be able to express myself also in a way that wasn't self-indulgent, hopefully, but gave a lot of empathy to the character. The character was going through extreme grief in a setting with a lot of people who were going through extreme grief. And I was really able to give honor, I think, and grace to that, both for myself and hopefully for the character, for the story.
0: Yeah. At what point in that process did you book Dope Sick?
1: I actually booked Dope Sick November 2020, but I got the script for Dope Sick in January 2020. I read it and immediately knew, like, I was like, oh, this project's mine. Like, I didn't know what the role would be yet, but I was like, oh, this is mine. And then I got the audition in, I think, November 2020.
0: Amazing. I mean, talk about... A character in in going through a lot. (laughs) That was like, it seems like a lot of this stuff has been very heavy, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I've been
1: booking a lot of heavier stuff recently, which is funny to all of my actor friends who know me for being really funny, but I've been booking... lot of heavier dramas. I think I tend to book for a long time comedic characters in dramas. And now I'm booking characters that have a little bright light that you watch get dim in dramas. And that was heavy. I mean, part of what was really heavy was Dope Sick came out, I think, while I was shooting the movie about grief. And the character I played on Dope Sick was a real person. And I got an Instagram message while I was filming from her daughter that she had died of a heart attack on the same day that my stepdad had died. And she just wanted to thank me for like the work that I had done. And it was amazing. Her whole family reached out. It was It was tragic and beautiful and amazing, all those things. Her family reached out and said that we always thought she was an addict. She was never able to fully recover that person, Maureen. And they said, we didn't believe her all these years that she was actually a whistleblower. She told us all of this stuff, but we thought, you know, it was just addict talk and that she was just making shit up. And I really wish I had been able to see this before she died because it gave her family, some of them, some perspective
0: and a full story, a full picture. I have a question about these processes because you're someone, for example, in your last podcast, you were like, okay, I do this and this and this every single week. Like it's very regimented, like kind of how you run your life and hypervigilance and things like that. Are there ways that you take care of yourself in these characters while you're in these deep, deep, intense characterizations, especially that help you preserve yourself in this process?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. I would say it's a process I find along the way. I mean, audition wise, it's a little bit of a different story, but I would say I'm auditioning a couple times a week, often for very heavy roles, just decimated, devastated, destroyed roles. And that's one process I'm working on with my therapist. That's one process because it's a lot of, it's like a shot goes out it's fight or flight, then this battle between excellence versus perfectionism. And then I tape the audition. I I have a whole process. I upload it, I send it out. And I would say for like the next 20 minutes, I think I'm a genius. And then after those 20 minutes, I think I'm a disaster. And I'm just so embarrassed by myself. And so I'm talking a lot about the adrenaline dump that happens because you're in this adrenaline shot for a long time. Then the characters themselves are really going through something a lot of the time. Then there is a, there's a coming down off of that. And so part of what we're talking about is giving myself as much time to come down as I gave myself to get up. So If I had 36 hours with the audition and with the material, that it gave myself 36 hours to like, boom, 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 tape, 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 and then I could allow myself 36 hours to then wind myself back down to normal. So that's auditions. That's its own thing for filming really intense and heavy things. I'm still very much on a journey about that. I would say it's similar in that, Usually, even the even if it's extremely heavy, I feel really high after I wrap for the day. I wrap for the day, and I, again, I think like I am amazing. <laughs> I just feel like like ah uh, ah uh, uh, Audrey coming in at you. And then I get to sleep, and then the next day, yeah, I'm feeling heavy, and yeah, I have to come down off of it. So I think it's a really complicated question because every project will have a different shooting schedule every character though they're heavy will have a different way that I get to express that what was particularly hard about Maureen Sarah is that she's a really it was a very personal story to me it was a very personal story to everyone that was on set and it it wasn't like a release in the same way that maybe some other roles are, it felt more like rubber bands tied around her, restricting her in sort of a torturesome way. So, yeah, I think it's a ASNI basis. I think the best thing that anyone can do, which I talk about all the time, is have your support staff. Like, I think you have to have your support staff. If you want on growth, you have to grow your support staff. So having a really good therapist that I can rely on having good doctors i have an incredible team of doctors i have fantastic manager who will talk to me at any time i have great agents who will hop on the phone with me i have incredible friends all of that and then also the actors that you meet on set in the projects i have i'm very lucky everyone is just magical and so it's perfectly great to chat with another actor and i don't know
0: walk it out yeah yeah, it's nice to be surrounded by people who understand what you're going through too. Mm-hmm. As you know, your career grows in whatever capacity that feels like for you or from the outside and as your name as like in the actor niche that you have nicely with the podcast and everything that you do with Self Tape May and all of the other stuff, do you ever feel like you have to show up as like this very put together person as like Audrey Moore, the people people know?
1: Yeah. I would say I would feel that way regardless, but that's just more my general interest in life that I don't really want to be grumpy or shitty or contemptuous. And so I do think I require a lot of self-care and self-imposed boundaries, personal Audrey sets to Audrey boundaries, so that I'm not grumpy Because I do, like, as I'm sure is true for you, if I go to a restaurant, it's likely that the hostess and the waiters and the bartender might know who I am. And if I'm having a bad day, I... Don't want that to be indicative. And I also feel like, you know, I'm allowed to be human and I think everyone's okay with that. I really do. And though I'm put together, I don't think anyone listens to my podcast and thinks that I'm perfectly peppy, cheery, and put together. I think it's pretty clear that there's a lot of, we'll call it the dark side, and that. I know and have experienced a lot of that in my life. So I don't think that's a concern. I think it's more that people, which I get because I have the exact same experience with podcasts I listen to, that people really do feel that they are your great friend. And I don't want to treat any of my great friends poorly. And even with my actual best friends, if I'm in a really grumpy mood, I'm not like calling them. (laughs) I'm like, I'll take a nap. I'll watch reality television. I'll do something like that. What about you? What do you do?
0: Yeah, so I like that. This is very new to me because One Broke Actress really picked up in the pandemic. I started to come on it when we were in masks and we didn't go out. And so it's just now started to where I go to the restaurant and my server knows who I am and asks for a picture and all this stuff. I love it. And I think it's a great experiment in having some success in this business. It's a funny niche because The people who work side jobs in this town, there's a 60%, 70% chance they're an actor. I feel a little bit of pressure to show up lovely, like in a really good mood, like you were saying. And I've noticed there's been a few times where I'll get home and I'll turn to my husband and say like, was I nice enough? Like did I – I want to make sure I give enough, which – is an interesting thing because I don't think anybody ever like meets someone they admire or appreciate and says like, I'm so disappointed because they talk to me and we're kind you know what I mean? Like I but I feel I'm very self aware when I leave the scenario and I'm I get a little, oh God. And then I'm like, well, I don't really want to go out and have a glass of wine because what if I say something silly or what if I you know what I mean, I get a little in my head. So I'm still learning that process, but it feels good to meet the people that I've been talking to online for years. Makes it a little more real.
1: Yeah. I also really enjoy that. I do feel like the pressure to me is actually just kind of the pressure I period have, you know, like I just normally have that in general to be, I'm interested in being fun and funny and light and vivacious. Like those are all qualities and characteristics that I intend to give off. So I would say in general, it's not likely I'm going out a ton if I don't feel that way, period. You know, I have a solid Karen inside of me and I just like have to like rope her in a lot sometimes and let her come out of my work. I do think it's a solid, like not a matter of if, but when a video comes out of me asking for a manager. I think that's probably like, it's in short, it's in a short time. I'm like always asking for a manager. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: live for this. No, I know what you mean though. I feel like also because everyone has their phone, I'm like, is there going to be a picture taken or a thing done or whatever? And it gets a little, it's not dicey, but you're just, it's just a, a high awareness of like your existence in space.
1: I had a friend who's a serious regular on a show really big network show and she was traveling with one of her parents who is also an actor and they were at an airport and the parent was getting grumpy about something. And they said, they were like, Hey, you can't get grumpy because like people recognize me right now. And so if you start getting grumpy, people are going to take out their phones and like, it's going to get weird. So like you need to just like keep a cap on it. Sure enough, they said they got through the security line and the TSA agent was like waiting for them and was like, hi, I'm such a fan. And she was thinking like, yeah, see, this is how it is. So I think that's, I think it's certainly a part of it. It's like personal PR constantly. Personal, personal. (laughs) Is it PR? Is it risk management? I think my (laughs) husband's pretty confident. We're just, we're just mostly doing risk
0: management on me probably for the rest of my life. Risk management. I think that's probably what I've been doing already. So here's a question. Something we talked about on our last podcast, a thousand years ago, was actors building this career over a long period of time and the job being auditioning. Because that was before we did self tapes, has that changed? For you at all, or your opinion of the work of like the job is just constant auditioning, do you think now it's just always going to be self-tapes? Do you think it, that it has changed in any way the way this business has functioned? Well, yeah. Yes. What do you think? I mean, have your numbers gone up a lot since self-tapes? They went up a lot in 2021, and then 2022 has been like very quiet. Well,
1: so far, we're just starting
0: really fall episodics, right? Yeah, this is August. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I would say
1: what I hear from casting is they were seeing 20 people and they're seeing 40. So everybody's numbers in terms of auditions, if you were already in a fortunate place to be auditioning, I think you are auditioning more. And yes, so that has certainly changed the way it is. I'm very fortunate in that I have incredible reps who watch my tapes. And even if they don't watch my tapes, they compliment me. And that's really what my soul needs. So I feel very lucky about that, that I have a team. So my tapes don't just go into a void where I feel like I'm spending tons of time, energy, and money making great tapes happen for nobody to watch them. I also know from casting that they're not watching all of your tape. Why would they? I think they're watching sometimes this slate to see if you're right for it. Sometimes the first, you know, 15 seconds or I hear they go to this section that nobody's getting. So there's like a beat everyone's missing. So they go to the beat everyone's missing. And if you get it, then they'll go back and watch the whole thing. Interesting. Right. And all that kind of makes me angry. So there's, you know, there are pros and cons. I love The Room for a lot of reasons. I love self-tapes for a lot of reasons. Commercials are back on The Room. That's doing very well for me. I think it only gets more competitive and more expensive. So you may get two co-star auditions a month and be happy about that and then do some workshops on the weekends at a certain level of your career but then when you're auditioning for giant roles multiple times a week and then you're working and paying somebody to work on those roles and you need multiple hours with somebody to do that Plus, a certain dynamic starts to happen where I have far less people that I can like reach out to as friends to help me do the work because almost everybody has quit during the pandemic. The ones that are still left standing, I would say, are on sets. We're all working and or they have children and I'm not going to be like, hey, so I know you've got a two year old and a four year old. Do you have three hours to come over and help me like work on a tape? Whereas, you know, six years ago, we would work till the wee hours of three in the morning, just working stuff out and that disappears on you. And so then you do have to really start paying people to show up. And the amount of time needed is greater because it's not a coaster anymore. It's a huge Opportunity. And now, if I'm getting seen for that opportunity, I know it's because they actually want to see me for that opportunity that my resume and my reel and my relationships and my agents, nobody's like wasting Audrey's time. Nobody's interested in doing that. So it's because I'm a contender and they truly want to see what I'm doing with the role. So then we get into a pretty expensive situation in time, energy, and money. And that is the job. And anyone who's been on the other side for long certainly knows whether or not you get the role. I have to say, especially as it gets more competitive, it's like, I mean, always, but definitely as it gets more competitive, you know, say they have five options and all five are incredible. I mean, all five are fantastic. Everyone's awesome. Everyone's really good. Everyone has an incredible resume. Everyone has probably worked with somebody on the project. Everyone is an interesting choice for the role. And then often you know people. And if you don't know them directly, you know so-and-so who knows them very well. Like everyone's kind of best friends with this person. So the circle becomes very small. And it it is. It's, It's not because you've done something wrong or because you're bad. You really do know that it's because
0: they're shopping. (laughs) let's talk about the realistics of time, energy, and money for big auditions, right? Because I'll tell you what, I have co-stars now that were absolutely guest stars a couple years ago. Oh, that's normal.
1: No, that's been going on for 15 years.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: (laughs) You're just now at a resume place, is my guess, where they're giving you the co-stars, but your resume is not big enough yet that they're going to offer it as a
0: guest star to you, they still think that you'll take it as a co-star. Yes, absolutely. And they're five pages and I coach them because I think I have to. Let, Let me just give an example. So I have an audition I'm filming this evening that has an accent And it's five pages and it's a co-star. So there's a lot of layers. And so I've worked with two separate coaches on it now. So I've already spent like a decent amount of the tax that I'm going to have taken out of this paycheck if I were to book it. And that's just for a co-star. So I can't imagine the expense. And this just makes me think of that Sydney Sweeney article that recently went out about how she was like, this job is so expensive, I can't afford to take a break. I know a lot of people judged her for that, but I was like, she seems like our people, Audrey. I'm like, she's talking about the realisticness of this. She's talking about how hard this is. And I just wanted to applaud her for that. And I feel like you would feel the same way.
1: Yeah. I felt like it's a very, I mean, boy, they sure got on her about that, didn't they? Well, and you know, I understand that it's hard when you're like, well, you have a $2 million house. If you're in California as an actor, you know, that's just called a house.
0: Yeah. It's probably the same size as my apartment.
1: Oh, truly, it happens to cost $2 million, but that's just called, I have a house with a self-tape room that I need rather than an apartment with a self-tape room that I need. Honestly, her mortgage, honestly, is probably not more than Los Angeles rent, but optics not great. And yes, I see those things and I, you know, to anyone who's in it long enough, the money is a wacky world. But it does. It costs a lot of money. I'm at the point where I know, coaching-wise, how long I take. I I take about a half hour per page. I come to my coaches, audition-ready. Like By the time I've met with a coach, I've already worked it for hours on We Audition. I've already recorded it. I've watched it. I've recorded it. I've watched it. I've recorded it. I've watched it. I've already done a lot of refinement before I even... Meet with a proper coach to work it out further. That gets very expensive. If we're talking even four pages, then that's $100 an hour times two hours times, you know, I've had weeks and I have friends who have nine auditions a week. You start to do the math on all of that. And that's when you need your support staff. When you're getting volume like that, you're playing that many people in a week. And the opportunities are that high. Like you need a lot of coaches because everyone's busy. You need a lot of support staff. You need the capital to be able to invest in that and invest in that consistently until something pops on the other side. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine who's a working actress, works all the time. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think you know, being an actor is really about how much free work can you afford to do for how long? And my husband was like, well, that's just our industry. I was like, great. (laughs) So great. So yeah. And that's really unfair. It's just really unfair. It makes me really Upset. And I think we're going to have to, in our next contract negotiations for SAG after, we're going to have to start setting some SAG rules, some SAG boundaries, because at the end of the day, if it costs that much, and then not to mention the technology that's involved and all that sort of stuff, we really do get into economic biases. And certainly we get into ageism racism classism misogyny all those things like that's what it is and so if they can audition as many people as they want and they can give them as many pages as they want and then the expectation is excellence and it only gets more and more true that way then i i don't think that's great which all labor forces are experiencing right i think all labor forces after the pandemic are like hmm what? Wait, this seems unfair. Yeah. It feels like that's a breaking point for sure. Well, it also all got changed. It just, it all changed so fast. But, you know, I think of my friends who are actors in their seventies who have to have a self tape place close to them and then pay somebody to do all the tech for them. And I just, I just, I can't
0: get behind that. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean it's frustrating, right? It's frustrating to be a part of. And you don't strike me as someone who lives outside of your means. You don't strike me as someone who's like, you know, we talked about rent the runway many moons ago. Like, mm-hmm. Love rent the runway. I don't think you're out gallivanting, spending money. But if you looked at your resume, there's an assumption like, oh, she works all the time. She's making a great living. But when you talk about the realities of this business and how, when you go up, the bills also go up and not because you're going on extravagant day-to-day life things, but because you are also getting better and the requirement is just higher.
1: Also, not for nothing, but your friends get richer and it doesn't mean that you do. Yeah. (laughs) So that's a real thing too. Like, you know, you have people in the industry who have things that they throw and you should go, A, because they're your friends and B, there are going to be a lot of people there that you want to see and also that you should see. And it's not going to be a cheap night out. It's going to be an expensive night out. And your money's gone up, but because of a good swing, their money's gone way up. And like, get it. I'm so happy for them. But that just, yeah, the economics of it all are fascinating as it continues to unfold.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that has changed for you since, I mean, when we recorded our first podcast, we talked about your day-to-day schedule and trying to maintain 30 to 40 hours of work in the business, be it listening to podcasts, reading scripts, watching shows, doing auditions, et cetera. You talked about calling friends from the car, which I'm assuming has changed. You talked about how you would hang out with friends two nights a week, record one thing a week. So that kind of a schedule what happened to that during COVID and what's it like now? I mean, that all very much stayed the
1: same during COVID. In terms of calling friends, I would say started calling friends more while I was cleaning, less while I was driving. Back to driving though, because commercial auditions are back in person. And so I'm doing two or three of those a week. So that's some phone time. And in terms of my auditions, I mean, I'm just auditioning so much more than I ever have before. I I joke with my husband that I think it's because everybody quit. I think they're like, well, Audrey's still here. Should
0: we call her? Sure. Let's see what Audrey's doing. Do you think it is because you've been in the business so long and your resume is to such a caliber and you present such good work and have good relationships? Is there any one thing that you think that is due to? Or due to the fact that they're seeing more people? Both. I mean, I do have a joke where I say, I'm just giving
1: like all my zingers right now. Like, that, I'm are they zingers? <laughs> we're not sure. I tell people when they talk to me about getting a lot of auditions, you know, like how do I get a lot of auditions? And I say, all you have to do is be here for 20 years, do workshops for 10, eight of which were a complete failure. Go work work locally in your home state, which happened to blow up, marry a second-generation filmmaker who will produce a viral podcast for you that's all about how you work all the time and how you can help people do the same. And you, too, can also audition a lot. Okay, great. (laughs) That's it. That's all you have to do. Great. Perfect. Cut print.
0: Yeah. Cut print. Hey, actors. Popping in here really quick on behalf of an organization, I am more than happy to donate this ad space to. I don't think I know a single person in my adult life who hasn't been affected by cancer in some way. Whether it's affected you directly or a really close friend or family member – We've all been touched by it at some point, which is why I'm really thrilled to get to talk to you about Castaway Cancer. You guys know I'm a big fan of Castability and I'm also a big fan of Jessica Sherman and all she does, including her charity organization, A Cause for Entertainment. They have combined for an incredible offer for actors. There is a link in the show notes below. It is castability.actor slash castawaycancer. At that link, you will see that for a $12 donation, actors can submit a scene that has been written by a true cancer warrior and survivors. 100% of the proceeds they are getting from this are being donated directly to people being impacted with cancer with themselves and their families. Every single one of these dollars gets to go to people directly affected. What a beautiful freaking thing. And for this special event, 12 casting directors are donating their time to review the work. You might have heard of some of them. I don't know. Alyssa Weisberg, a little Erica Bream, Amanda Doyle, Jessica Sherman, just to name a few. Jeremy Gordon. A bunch of these are casting directors who have been on this podcast too, so I'm really excited to team up with them again to get some money going to some good people on behalf of actors getting to do their art. So if this is something that sounds fun for you guys, hello, we all need a little bit of self-tape practice. Why not toss $12 to a cancer survivor in the process? You're gonna click the link in my show notes. Like I said, castability.com slash castawaycancer. All the information will be there for you. You can also follow castability.actor on Instagram. Check it out, follow their links, Submissions are open from October 17th to October 22nd. Go ahead and click that link. Get seen by casting, doing some amazing work from cancer survivors, and donate to cancer survivors in the process. What a freaking sweet deal for all of us. I could not be more excited to be a part of this process. If you guys have any more questions for Castability, once again, that website is castability.actor slash castawaycancer. I mean,
1: almost all of my friends have quit by now almost all of them. And the only ones who haven't are the ones who are part of that 3% who make enough to make a living more or less. They might have a leaner year. They might have a amazing year, but more or less, they're making that living on an annual basis. That is sort of the required amount you need to make in order to pay your bills
0: and pay for your career.
1: Hmm.
0: Okay, great. So 20 years and just keep going and great, 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 great.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it's just... Well, for you, because how long have you been here? You've been here 10? Uh, yeah, 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's really in these next five years that the culling really starts to happen. It's really like in your 30s that people just make other choices and have other priorities. And what you think the career is going to be when you dream of it at 14 versus what it is. Not even what what it is because of your dream versus the reality, but like it's changed As it should over the last 15 to 20 years, because that's what businesses do. So even if you had walked from 14 into the exact same business it was, it would be different because it's the difference between dream versus reality. But you also have like the reality has so massively changed by the time you get into it. You just start to evaluate what this is really doing for you. And is it still doing it for you? And I think, especially in the pandemic, I think a lot of my friends who are 10 years older, their group stayed in. And I'm seeing everybody that's in your age category is in, but it does feel like it seems to me like my category, unless they're part of the group that is making that living, that they're pretty well out.
0: Yeah. I have started to see it with my age group. I've started to see people shift and their priorities shift. I will say it is really hard because I'm in my mid thirties and I'm watching people have kids and have houses and have all these things. And I've been in the same apartment for seven years because we have a really solid deal and I can stay here and keep doing this work and keep making shifts and changes. And it feels, some days it feels like I've gone nowhere You know, and I think that's the hard part is like looking around and looking at material substance or like tangible things like credits or things like that, that you would see in any other, in several other businesses. I shouldn't say any other because there are some that are like this, but the ability to just keep going without those tangible things. What kept you going when you watched other people succeeding in different ways or when it was quiet for you and you were like, I need to solve my audition problem first. So this would be way earlier in your career.
1: Well, I would say I've been very lucky. Two of the things that I feel most blessed about is that it was always going to be this since I was young. I mean, you know, in college, I don't know about your conservatory, but in my conservatory, they like straight up told the entire room, they were like, so only two of you are going to be doing this in 20 years or whatever. And everyone already knew who the two were going to be. And it is the two that it is. It just is. Like everyone already knew who it was going to be. And same thing when I went to New York, same thing when I was in England, same thing when I moved here. Like I've never been the person, it was like, I don't know, is Audrey going to stick it through? So for me, it was more of like, a teacher who said to me, you're not going anywhere. So this could either be a fun time or a real shit time. What do you want it to be? And I realized, like, yeah, I've got some things to work out. And I would say the managing of ego, entitlement, frustration, burnout, mm-hmm. adrenaline, delusion, those are all a really big part of not just this career, but honestly, it's a really big part of mastery. If I can just remember also that's mastery, which I'm very excited by, like mastery is so exciting to me that then I can take that seriously and not, you know, just shuck it off. It's like, no, there are things that have to be dealt with so that mastery and and the furthering of mastery can continue
0: it's really beautiful because it's like you're building to something, but it doesn't have like an end point necessarily. And the end point is absolutely not a booking, which is really, really lovely to hear.
1: Yeah. I mean, but also I have to make money when you're like, well, how do you keep going and and what do people do and, and all of those things? I think the reason people bounce is truly a, a numbers reason. It's like, does the math work out? And if the cost of living in the city that you're living in continues to raise and the cost of being competitive in this industry continues to raise, but the payment doesn't continue to raise either because of Uh, negotiations or whatever, or because you're, as an actor, not pushing yourself and your team to get you more money that you deserve to get, right? So if you take this five-page co-star, somebody else is getting that exact same audition as a guest star. I promise you. I promise you, you're getting it as a co-star and somebody else is getting it as a guest star. And so then it's on you and your team to decide how much negotiating power you want to wield and if you have any, to ask for a guest star.
0: Yeah. How do actors know when they can take on that kind of power?
1: Well, that's, again, about a really good team. And it's really hard to know if you have a good team or not. I'm very fortunate in that my team is good. I've earned that, which is one of my greatest points of pride in my career. Is I just love every single one of them. And I have people that see high for me, even when I feel insecure and remind me of that. And I have people who are just so honest with me when I'm like, you know, should we be getting more money? And they're like, listen, I'm all about the extra money. Here's how this office works. Here's how this show works. Here's what we got to know. Here's what we got to do. So you just got to trust that your team is doing that. And then you also have to have people I find that aren't on your team who know the business, who are hopefully maybe other actors or casting directors or showrunners, who can also tell you what the hell is really going on here. And you can talk to them and say, you know, I got this and I got paid that. They will look at you and go, that's what they paid you? Oh, you got fucked. And you're like, oh shit, I got fucked. Right? So what you learn to do is to call people ahead of time and say, hey, just got this offer. This is what I'm shooting. What do you know about that? And they'll say, oh, so here's how they're going to fuck you. And here's what you want to make sure to get. And here's what you want to ask for. You got a lawyer whose job it is to be, you know, ruthless. All that sort of stuff. So I think it's hard. You you just got to be really informed, Sam. You got to be really informed. You got to know what everyone else is making. And you got to have people that you feel like are willing to be the jerk for you because that's what an agent is supposed to be is they're supposed to be the ones who are like this is the money she's taking or we walk so that you're not the person doing that but i've been you know very fortunate i have friends in casting over the last year and not that they're friends of last year but over the last year i talked to some of my friends in casting and you know, they were like, yeah, I think you can go offer only now on these kinds of roles. I think you can go offer only on this sort of stuff. And it was scary to do that, but felt right. Since then, I've auditioned for the best roles of my life. And I worried that my auditions would go down, but my auditions have gone up and the quality of the roles I'm auditioning for have gone up because they start to go, oh, that's where she's at. Okay. So we'll put her in that group.
0: Yeah. I mean, the importance of community that you just hit on is huge. And the creation of that does indeed, for anyone listening who's brand new to any market, does indeed take 10, 15, 20 plus years. Yeah. I mean, the other day you called me and you're like, hey, I heard about this thing and I just want to make sure that you're not getting fucked. And I was like, wow, I could use more of this in my life because like what you said, a lot of my friends aren't doing this anymore and they didn't get to the level that I'm getting to. And so my circle of people to get information from is getting smaller. I want to go back to what you said about having good reps because I was speaking to someone recently and they were like, how were your first agents in this business? And I said, well, they weren't very good because I wasn't very good. I've learned a lot since then and I've improved as well. And I think my relationships and my team has improved. For someone working with their first reps, it's really hard, especially as a newer actor, to designate like, what makes a good rep? How do I know this person? And I get that question all of the time. Do you have any advice on that? Listen to the union
1: podcasts, join the union as soon as possible, go to union meetings, because that's where you're going to meet working actors. Because, you know, it's interesting, because what you're kind of saying is like, well, somebody gets their first reps, but I know a lot of 22 year olds who sign with heavy hitter reps right away. And just because you're with heavy hitter reps, are they good reps? Are you going to get fucked on your first contract? Like you may get a really great heavy hitter rep out the gate because they believe that they can sell you and then they can and then you get this job and then you're on the contract for a year and then i meet you at a party which happens all the time and you've listened to the podcast and then they're like audrey and i'm on the show and, da, 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 and so like here and then right away we're like at like some place and they're like so my contract is this right and i'm like oh no no, no, that is not right. And they're like, I didn't think so. They're like, but my lawyer is so-and-so and such-and-such. And -and And I'm like, no, 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 no. Because there are plenty of 22-year-olds who've been working for 20 years. And so the best thing that you can do to know if what a good rep is, is inform yourself about what is sort of standard in this career. And if the only people that you are connecting with are people at the exact same level as you, then you're going to have major gaps in your knowledge. And I think that's part of what's really hard is you usually only have the perspective of people in your own circle. And that's part of how you can create delusion is... You know, if you're in a circle and you have reps and nobody else in your circle has reps, then you feel like, well, I'm crushing because I at least have reps. But if you then go and talk to other people and they're like, oh, who is that rep? Oh, that's the guy that steals from everybody. Be careful about him. Those are conversations that can be had if you're getting a little outside of your circle
0: and talking to other working actors who are where you want to be. I mean, that's the community, right? Is like growing that and finding it. Beyond union meetings, right? So for our actors who are non-union, where would you say finding community is a good place?
1: There's a lot of great places, I would say. First of all, you can listen to the SAG Astra podcast. I think there's a ton of information on there, and it's free, and it's great. Listening to these podcasts is really good. I really love the community that Miata has created over at Abundance Bound, because Miata Idoga is an amazing woman that Sam has done a lot of episodes with and partners with a lot. And you did a great one with her, too, about you, yeah. getting screwed over. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm just all about that. How can I not get fucked over, everyone? And so, She has these video meetings where people come in and submit questions and talk about what's happening to them. And I find those to be really helpful because you'll have actors who go on there and they're like, I just booked a series. I'm getting paid $250,000, but I started noticing this and this is what this residual check is and I'm not really sure. And then somebody will come in and say, oh, actually it's because of this thing. You have to call this person and do this and this is what you need to do. And you don't have to be union to be a part of that. And then there are people who are like little Sam Valentines circa 2019 with 17 jobs and can't have the time, energy, or money for any of their career, much less their life. And they're all in the same community working out the problems. And I found that to be a really great way to start to hear like, what are the problems ahead? What are the things that can come to and start to get Some information. Acting classes can be helpful. I find, unfortunately, in most acting classes, again, you're kind of at the level probably of everyone else there. So that can be tricky because if the only information you're getting are from other actors at your level, I don't think that's a solid representation. But I do think listening to podcasts like yours and like mine that try to break down I think everyone just doesn't understand, like, agents are paying their bills off of you. And so if you don't have anything besides I'm a good actor and I like acting to offer that would let them think, like, I'm going to pay my bills off of you, then you're probably going to get a rep who isn't trying to pay their bills off of you, which means they're only so connected or so experienced or so capable. Unless there's something about you that they look at you, a qualified rep looks at you and says, oh, I think I can pay my bills off of you. And to see the immediate potential. My friend said she was just at a, a coffee shop and, or a restaurant or something and that there was a whole just like a gaggle of agents at the table next to them. And that the agents were, the whole conversation was like, No more developing talent. Like what we're doing now is if they're not an immediate breakthrough, if they're not somebody that's immediately going to bring in money, like that's what we're doing with our agency. And we're, it's cash, it's cash coming or you're out. Like we're going to do a major culling and we're going to just take people who are immediate cash. And I just think that there is not enough, like the agents that think that way aren't coming on podcasts and talking about it. And I think that's a lot of agents, and it's a lot of agents that rep money-making clients. The agents that will come on podcasts are the ones who are like, you know, I love actors, and I love developing them, and I love talking to them, and I just want to like make your life happier, and I think you guys are great, and we just think we're all so great.
0: Yes, 100%.
1: I have asked agents to come on and talk truth, and none of them want to.
0: Yeah, it's true. Which makes sense. Why would they come on an actor podcast to have a chat with actors if they weren't that kind of agent? It tracks completely. It's true. God, I wish you could just do like a, you know, one of those like things they put in front of their mouth so it like morphs the sound so you can't hear what they are and just have them answer questions. They still wouldn't do it.
1: They still wouldn't. They still wouldn't. They still wouldn't. It's why, why would they? They have nothing, even time-wise, they have nothing to gain. They don't even want to spend an hour making calls for actors that aren't going to get auditions, much less come on a podcast and spend an hour to help actors that they have no idea who they are or will never meet. They just don't need to. Is that I feel like we have gotten so depressing on this
0: episode of One Broke Actress. (laughs) We've hit some dark corners, but I like it. One of my favorite things about talking with you is you're like, so here's how it is. And here's how hard I've had to work to get here. And here's how hard I have to work to get here. And it looks like this, but it actually feels like this. I can't tell you how refreshing it is because sometimes i get so tired and i'm like wow i'm at the tip of the iceberg there's so much more to do and so much more to take on but i see and talk to people like you and i'm like no it's totally possible to do this and also have a realistic perspective on it
1: and to love it
0: yeah and to still find the joy in it right because you and you share these awesome photos on instagram that's like the six auditions you've had this week and it's like all completely different characters and i'm like wow I know you're working your ass off and you're paying for your coaching and you're doing all of the things possible, but you're also like having a damn good time doing it from what you can tell.
1: Yeah, mostly. I mostly have a, you know, I consider this profession and this field to be one of the, if not the greatest honor of my life. I really feel that way. I feel just tremendously honored to do it. I just think it's such a gift. And I work hard to inform and also protect others. And I am interested in continuing to work hard to perform and protect others. And it's, I think it's because I feel that way about it. Because I feel like it is worth, it's worth fighting for. It's worth doing. It's worth getting paid for. It's worth getting paid a lot for. It's worth being protected. It's worth being, it's valuable. What we do is really, I mean, you know, not for nothing with art, but like, I just, it made me think, I don't know. I I see sometimes your videos about auditions and perfectionism with auditions and all of that. And I love all of those that you post and Somebody posted on the, on the internets yesterday, this beautiful hand, this famous artist posted this beautiful drawing that he had made. And somebody asked, how do you know when it's done? And then there was this quote that was essentially, the artist doesn't complete their work. They simply decide to walk away. And I was like, oh God, that's such a refreshing perspective for the self-tape. we could get so obsessive about it and just like music or painting or sculpture or any of it, like you just choose to finish and let it be what it is. And when you can remember when I can remember, try to help everyone else remember that we're, we're artists and I just really believe in it. I just really believe in, People are having a hard time and I just love that they can turn on the Connors and feel a little better. And feel a little scene. I love that they can turn on the Sandman and just, it just feels a little nicer for the day. I love that they can listen to a podcast. I love that they can listen to music. I love that they can go to a museum. I love that they can go see a play or you know, any of the beautiful forms of art and just find a little relief. And I feel like it's important and I feel honored to continue to do it.
0: Mm. That's beautiful. Do you have time for like two more questions? Yeah, for sure. How much time does Audrey Help Actors take in your day-to-day life? Because it sounds very full. Your schedule sounds very full between self-care and doing all this audition work.
1: Yeah. So I would say, what a hellish question. I have made it clear to my producing partner, that's my husband, that for me, the interviewing, I answer emails. I connect with guests via that and the social media, the going out and doing meetups and things like that, that that is really where I shine and what I do and really the other stuff I have to give away. I listen to each episode after the first edit is done and then we'll give notes And then I'll often listen to it again or listen to those sections, but it's a lot. It is, it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot. I'm now only doing it once a year for whatever chunk of time I can do it. But I've been very clear about the podcast that I will drop it in a second. If it starts to impede on my career, that if I start, noticing I have to spend less time on audition because I'm doing something for a podcast, then the podcast has got to go. It's just got to go. And also nothing's permanent. You know, this career, this career is crazy. So I could have a year where I'm really busy auditioning and then the podcast will need to slow down. And then I could have a year where I'm shooting all the time and actually have a lot more downtime because I'm shooting and I can't audition for things because I'm booked to film and maybe my shooting schedule isn't super packed. So then I could record a bunch of episodes or do live shows or any of that sort of stuff. So it takes, I would say total man hours per episode, not just myself included, but I would say it probably takes, God. 30 to 40 hours of combined effort of all people involved per episode. It's a heavily produced podcast.
0: It's a lot. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, that's a lot of work for an episode.
1: Yeah, and how much of that I'm actually doing really just depends on how much time I have on a given thing to work on it. And you know, what's great about self-tape May is I did self-tape May in May because May is a traditionally slow month, the slowest month of the year for actors which is helpful because I am actually slow in that month. So I can be present and be active and be engaged while also not have that come at the cost so far of anything in my professional life.
0: What do you do when it's slow?
1: I stay busy. Yeah, I stay busy. It's hard because now I feel like when it's slow, because my auditions are so busy, that when it's slow, it's really just picking up all the things I've neglected. So if I have four auditions last week, then my apartment looks like just a complete disaster. Like there are outfits everywhere. There is makeup everywhere. There are self-tape equipment in parts of the room I didn't know existed. Nobody's gone grocery shopping. There's no, There's just no, nothing has been, I haven't talked to a friend. I haven't seen a person. I, You know, it just is what it is, right? And so then if it's, You know, now it's today's Thursday. So if, say, I didn't have any auditions this week, then it's about, like, okay, well, now I'm going to clean all of that up and take care of the cyclone. And I'm going to go grocery shopping and I'm going to call a friend and I'm going to, get those things done. And if I'm caught up on those things, then I get ahead for next week in case next week I'm slammed. So if there's things that I'm looking at, like I have a birthday party next week or a event or something like that, instead of waiting till next week to get that done, I'm doing it now in case next week I get slammed with auditions while I also have those priorities. I love it. I love it. You get grounded and get ahead. That's really good. That's great. I feel like my life is kind of like tornado, clean the tornado, tornado, clean the tornado, tornado, clean the tornado. This is the cycle. I just keep doing it. Mm,
0: it sounds so familiar. <laughs> yeah, I bet it does. I know it so well, Audrey. This is so helpful. If actors want, they have questions for you. They want to follow up with you. I think everyone is familiar with your podcast as well. But if not. Where do you want to direct people to? Great. I have a podcast called Audrey Helps Actors Podcast.
1: And we have 91 episodes up there. We have covered probably every topic that you can think of. And I don't know, how would you differentiate my podcast versus your podcast? Do you have like a, my podcast
0: is this and Audrey's podcast is more that? I feel like I ask questions as someone who is still in a very unsure time in her career, whereas I feel like you curate a podcast to deal with the things that an actor needs while also providing the value of someone who's looking back on having learned a lot. That's really absolutely correct. You're so articulate, Sam. Yeah, I
1: would say like I feel like you and I are just on opposite sides of the same coin and my podcast is geared to yeah exactly that because i have access to people who tell me what's really going on and i see what's really going on i'm always i just want to let like, let people know what's really going on like what is what is really happening here
0: i feel like i take a lot of information from your podcast and file it away for when i need it in 5 years <laughs> especially your last season. I feel like You'll you had just a lot of people. Me. I know, I know. No, I'm just gonna. You'll just call hey, me. Hey, do you have a second? I have a really thing. Yeah. Um, okay. I think there's a lot of things where I'm like, oh, I don't know about this yet, but I'm going to need to understand this later. Like there's a lot mm-hmm. of just understanding the groundwork that I think you cover that I didn't even know existed yet.
1: Yeah. So that's that podcast. And otherwise you can follow me on social media. Audrey Scores More is my personal page and Audrey Helps Actors podcast is the Instagram podcast page. That's mostly, mostly where you can find me. You can find me at a restaurant coming to see you at any given time in Los Angeles. I will say hi. Yeah, that's mostly where you can find me. Beautiful.